1: Welcome back into Cars & Culture, I'm Automotive News publisher Jason Stein in Detroit. Jimmy Johnson is on a mission. It's a complicated undertaking for someone with nothing left to prove on the racetrack, yet everything to prove to himself. Johnson is a seven-time champion on the NASCAR circuit, yet he never dreamed of being a stock car racer.
0: Now, speaking of a fast ride, this is the young man who's made a lot of headlines for testing and Jimmy Johnson. Ricky Driver driving for Hendrick Motorsports. Jeff Gordon is a part owner of this car. Johnson's been quickest
1: in both of yesterday's practice sessions. He was a dirt track, off-road kid with sights firmly set on open wheel and Indy. The two worlds couldn't have been more different. But every fork, even in a dirt road, sometimes leads to directions unknown and success unimagined. His NASCAR success was enormous.
0: And Jimmy Johnson will tie Cale Yarborough on Stock Car Racing's all-time win list. Johnson wins his 11th at Dover. He's got a lot of fans here in Dover because they're all cheering for that. I never thought I would end up here
2: in NASCAR
1: as a kid racing in the dirt out in Southern California. A young Jimmy Johnson, a racer from near San Diego, California, ended up on the closed-wheel circuit and won more than nearly anyone in history. His first Cup Series championship in 2006 was followed by another one, again in 07, 08, 09, and 2010, the first and only driver in NASCAR history to win five consecutive championships. In the end, following 20 years on the circuit, the hardware could have filled a race course infield. He tied Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt for the most Cup Series championships of all time. This time, Bob, the
0: flag in the air, one more time around from Miami. Jimmy Johnson has never won at Homestead-Miami Speedway, but he's never been in a position where he's had to win for a championship. Down the backstretch he goes. Three, three, four, three, a to lap away from the championship. Jimmy Johnson through three and four. Make room. Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt. There's another seven-time champ. Jimmy Johnson wins his
1: When that path ended, at the conclusion of a long-standing contract with owner Rick Hendrick, he opted for the dream imagined some 30 years ago. And that led to a seat, finally, in an IndyCar. And a dream pursued with passion, starting over now at 45. We set up a, uh, a test session to see if I would like
2: it. Uh, for the 2020 year. And unfortunately, due to COVID, that all kind of fell apart. But the Ganassi folks saw it through and got me that first test session in July at at the Indy GP track. And when I had another shot at it, I was like, this is absolutely what I want to do. I thought I would be slowing down from NASCAR. I thought I would be kind of cherry picking events, maybe some sports car racing. I did not expect to ramp up this level and and pursue something so challenging. But uh, all the parts fell into, all the pieces fell into place. And um, my childhood dream is now, you know, being lived at 45. When when I thought maybe at
1: 25 it would happen. Insurmountable, impossible. Don't count Jimmy Johnson out. It's a reinvented Jimmy Johnson in this week's episode of Cars and Culture with Jason Stein. Well, Jimmy, it's my absolute pleasure to have you on Sirius XM. Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it.
1: Let's talk about the obvious: the transition, of course. But I don't want to know what's different, because I think we're going to get to that. I'd love to know a little bit more around the why. 20 years, of course, after racing in uh, the Cup Series, uh, now a time to start over. Can you take me back to the decision where you really decided that this is something that you wanted to pursue? And, and maybe it's with Alonzo back a couple of years ago.
2: Yeah, it's hard to say there's just one piece to this. There are three or four pieces. <clears throat> First of all, growing up in Southern California, as I did, um, IndyCar was a much larger sport than NASCAR at that point in time and I certainly had much more access to IndyCar and within the off-road industry which I came up through many off-road racers made it to IndyCar and were really successful. Rick Mears, Robbie Gordon, Roger Mears, um, you know there's Parnelli Jones, quite a few that uh, were all on the West Coast and uh, household names you know during my era growing up. So that, that's always been there and when I started with Chevrolet Back in the the mid-90s, you know, we laid out a a 10-year plan with me ending up in IndyCar. And we were heading down that road. Um, I was attending the Long Beach Grand Prix each year. That was my annual check-in with the GM folks. And one of those check-ins, I found out that GM was pulling out of IndyCar the following year, and they weren't sure when they would be back. And if I wanted to have a professional career on the asphalt, I should consider NASCAR and move to the East Coast. So you know my, my fork in the road happened. And I, I was like, sure, I'll, NASCAR sounds great. So I started pursuing that route. And it wasn't long after um, I put some roots down in North Carolina and, and kind of started my NASCAR career uh, with the Herzogs, um, racing. eventually ended up racing their Bush Grand National car. And that's where I was spotted by Jeff Gordon. But prior to that, they were also in the off-road space. And GM was trying to grow them as a team to take from off-road racing up through the ranks to NASCAR. So, yeah. But you hadn't
1: really considered stock car up to that point? It was
2: so far away. I just didn't, I just didn't know much about it. I mean, I'd catch it on the Worldwide uh, Sports on television. My brother rooted for Earnhardt, so I, I couldn't. Um, I became a Gordon fan. And I actually knew Jeff Gordon from sprint cars and midgets and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I just, NASCAR, NASCAR was, was it. But I, I always had that seed in the back of my mind that IndyCar was what I wanted to do. And then I drove Fernando's Formula One car, and and that was like, whoa, this is what one of these cars feels like. And there I started speaking with Zach Brown quite a bit from McLaren, trying to figure out is is there a route to Formula One, which there's really not, especially at my age. Uh, number two, the uh, the IndyCar series, and we set, we set up a, uh, a test session to see if I would like it uh, for the 2020 year. And unfortunately, due to COVID, that all kind of fell apart. But the Ganassi folks saw it through and got me that first test session in July at at the Indy GP track. And when I had another shot at it, I was like, this is absolutely what I want to do. Um, I thought I would be slowing down from NASCAR. I thought I would be kind of cherry picking events, maybe some sports car racing. I did not expect to ramp up this level and and pursue something so challenging. But uh, all the parts fell into, all the pieces fell into place. And um, my childhood dream is now, you know, being lived at 45 when when I thought maybe at 25 it would happen.
1: It's unbelievable, uh, you know, to think of a restart at 45. And I want to get to that. But I want to go back to originally, you you had no notion of being in stock cars. What what was your impression of the NASCAR circuit?
2: It was pretty far away. I I mean, unfortunately, you'd only see these big crashes and you would see the winners. So, uh, lots of big crashes, scary crashes. Drivers walk away, you know. So I thought of them as like superheroes in a sense. And then, you know, I, I remember a, a moment in time where we were traveling the country racing dirt bikes, and we pulled up to a Hardy's, and I thought that was kill Yarbrough's race shop. And later found out, right then and there, found out that it was a hamburger stand and not a race, <laughs> race shop. So, you know, it was it was pretty far away. I just just didn't have a lot to connected to it. But I love racing. And when I, you know, when I really look back on the discipline of racing on the dirt, the the stock car route is much closer than the Indy car route. So, you know, after all these years have passed, it really was the right place for me to go and spend the bulk of my
1: career. But you were you were pining for that open wheel experience at some stage, obviously, um, and and trying to figure out the the way back there. Did you think, well, forty five is going to be my my route back um after I've done 20 years in stock car racing
2: no not 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 at all N- never never thought that it would happen and you know if it wasn't for uh, really Zach Brown putting me in that Formula One car and in kind of trying and really trying to put together a test for me that COVID uh dismantled and then Chip Ganassi's willingness to say hey look you know let's let's give it a shot and I've known Chip for a lot of years and I've raced against him and I've talked to him about driving for him and um you know his willingness and then of course the sponsorship partners fell into place with Carvana, um, Ally and the American Legion to make it all happen but um, it, it really happened quickly once this idea kind of got started in I think early July when I drove the IndyCar for the first time I mean it wasn't two months later really two to three months later that we we had some signatures on paper and we're we're moving forward.
1: So tell me about the first experience in the IndyCar then I know the Formula One experience blew your mind and while they're different Right, Indy cars and Formula One—the the complexity is probably at the same level.
2: It is. I, I was really surprised how much more physical the Indy car um, is compared to a Formula One car. The lack of power steering is just a, a, <laughs> a massive uh, factor in heart rate and physical requirement inside the car. But I, I felt like because of the rules in Formula One, and you have to drive an older car, I felt like the Formula One car and the Indy car were pretty similar in braking capacity. Um, the Formula One car had a bit more help for the driver off the corners with some computer aids and stuff, and and the car was pretty easy to drive in, in a lot of respects. Where the the, the Indy car is, it's just hard to drive. I mean, there's a lot of power, you know, a fair amount of grip, but a, a very busy cockpit in the race car where the Formula One car was was pretty easy to handle.
1: So you get in the Indy car and it's your it's your first time you know your first time in the seat, and you you know truth be told you've probably only been in an IndyCar about a dozen times in total now what was your first impression?
2: Just how fast how violent how physical Um, all things that I just as a racer love and and things that really got me excited to try to do more regardless of age Um, I've spent a lot of time staying physically fit in my my career and have had goals outside of driving the race car with triathlon and marathons and um you know, I just feel like the lifestyle that's in and around IndyCar is is a really good fit for me and something I want to be a
1: part of. Yeah, you talked about wanting to walk through the paddock to be to be part of these teams, and the culture is incredibly different in IndyCar versus NASCAR. What what are some of the other large, some uh, I guess, differences that you've experienced?
2: Yeah, culturally is is a big shift, and it's great to watch my wife and kids pick up on um, kind of the vibe that exists in the paddock. You know, it is a more complex series, but in a lot of ways, it's much more casual than, than NASCAR. I think the reduced schedule in IndyCar creates a bit more of a family environment in some ways, and you don't see everybody all the time, um, and, and people kind of sit around. I'm surprised after a race in a NASCAR event, we, the race they should televise is the race of the drivers from their vehicles to the airplane's home, and, <laughs> and here everybody sits around for hours, you know, eats a little dinner, socializes, kids play. Uh, so it's been, been neat in a lot of ways. And then you mentioned the venues, uh, bring the venues into play and uh, St. Pete, you know, literally walking from the hotel to work, um, work is done. I walk back and meet my family at a cafe on the street and, and have dinner and home. So, uh, different in many, many ways. Did you
1: have to get your wife on board with the idea that you were, you know, you're, you're not really walking away from racing <laughs> at all. You, you were going to do the ovals, you were not yet right, but did you have to get her on board with the you know the notion that you were going to continue on this journey, and what was her reaction
2: yeah i mean I, I definitely you know she's my my top advisor in all the things that I do, and <clears throat> even even making the decision to make 2020 my last year in, in NASCAR was something that i i wanted her to weigh in on, and she wouldn't she didn't want to uh, to have a you know have me be overly concerned with her point of view because she knows how much this means to me. When uh, when safety comes into play, she speaks up a little bit more, and in NASCAR, she was more comfortable with the safety level. Um, with IndyCar, it's it's been a, an interesting evolution, and I think the aero screen, um, first and foremost, made me comfortable and then has made her comfortable. And now being around the, the paddock like I have, um, now I, I see that safety level and I understand a lot more how the oval racing takes place and the safety in the oval racing for indie cars, and it's it's you know piqued my curiosity to uh, to to at least test on an oval. So we're, we're working on that. Hopefully, we can pull that off by the end of the year, and just let me let me see if I like it or not. So we can uh, decide on that moving forward. You've
1: said that you're trying to remind yourself of your early days in racing, right? Taking taking yourself back to the point where you were first learning how to race. Is that an accurate description?
2: It is, uh, and through my career in Changing vehicles, changing series, new tracks. There's this uh, familiarity, starting over, and and I'm reminding myself of that in, in going through it. Uh, now again, there's some comfort in that that I know I've been here before. Um, I feel like in the past I worried about everything, and right now I'm a, with this experience and repetition that I've had doing it. I'm, I'm worrying more in the right areas and spend less time worrying in, in, in areas that don't require as much time and attention. Um, and then this is making me feel like a kid again. I mean, just, uh, you know, short of the story, um, I, I feel alive and like I'm a teenager all over again.
1: You asked yourself the question, how are you going to get, how would you get peace of mind? And you said the peace of mind was going to be crawling before walking. So you're, you're crawling now, or are you walking yet?
2: <laughs> I feel at times that I'm up to a walk and then I get reminded just how tough this series is and, and feel like I'm, I'm crawling. But, uh, these tracks are all so different many of them I can't test on
1: you've never been on many of these tracks
2: not very none of them um yeah well, I haven't been on any of them I'm thinking of the IMSA car I've at least been to like Watkins Glen and the IMSA car when I run that later this year but uh, from an IndyCar standpoint all new tracks and uh you know, the the tire that goes with the car on those particular tracks, the track evolution. There are a lot of pieces to this that are just really different than a NASCAR vehicle. And it just takes time. And it, most drivers that end up in an IndyCar spend five to 10 years in the lower divisions working through all these little granular things. I spend all that time in NASCAR learning them for that discipline. So I, I really am about as green as you can be entering into a rookie car season.
1: Is there anything that you can borrow from? the NASCAR experience that you've been able to apply outside of of course reaction time although that probably has been sharpened too I'm sure
2: definitely been sharpened you know from a physicality standpoint from a fast twitch muscle muscle standpoint I've changed my training all around to uh, to be better and stronger in all those areas because it is different but I feel like dealing with pressure is is just a maybe a life lesson or certainly a lesson I can bring over from, from NASCAR into this. I have a lot of pressure on me to go out there and succeed, but I, I feel like I'm not overreacting, and I'm, I'm in that crawl before I walk st- uh, state of mind because of experience and what I've done in the past.
1: You were also humble enough to say that you, you knew that you wouldn't expect the same success that you had in Cup, and that that wouldn't necessarily cross over here. Right? But I, being competitive, I know you're not going to stay that way for very long, right?
2: The competitive nature is, you know, something I've realized that I I can't live without, you know, the accountability and adrenaline that comes with being a race car driver. Um, And it's more than just what you do on race day. It's the stuff during, you know, the the days and weeks leading up to the events, uh, the days that follow the event. Um, You know, there's a whole thing that... I just can't walk away from it. I had a chance to after, you know, twenty years in NASCAR and it just it's just not time. I'm ready for something different. And and I feel like there's a lesson in that. After I think it was probably twenty two or twenty three years in the NASCAR scene, you know, that's that's a good long career and we're doing one thing and I'm like most people out there in the world that, you know, after twenty years at a certain job or a certain you know, a certain occupation, you wonder, you know, is there something else that might interest me interest me more and, and that's really where I found myself today.
1: Chapter two, yeah, indeed. Could you have done it earlier? Should you have done it earlier?
2: I don't I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to say. You know, and right now I watch the performance that the Chevrolets have and Hendrick Motorsports has in NASCAR and think, should I stay another year? So I'm really trying hard not to look back on all of that. But for the most success in IndyCar, yes, the earlier um, I come here. The more laps I get, the more reps I get. The, the better I would be. Um, you know, I do have uh, some clock ticking about how many years I, regarding how many years I have left. Um, so if I was here sooner, I'd have a longer longer window in IndyCar and, and probably better results.
1: There are athletes out there who do, do have a clock that seems to tick forever. Tom Brady being one of them. Um, have you noticed any changes? You you talked a little bit about your your physical routine that's changing. What's been the biggest change you've had to institute in order to remain healthy and most importantly to have success on the track?
2: You know, I've thought about it a lot, and I believe—and I don't have really any anything to support it—but watching from afar, I'm watching Tom, watching Phil Mickelson, and the success he's just recently had, and um, you know, you, there's a few other athletes out there that, that quickly come to mind. Um, I, I believe that you know, life happens, and life life complicates things and eats up a lot of time that that young guys don't have and and i think that's why i mean sure there's some physical god-given talent that is sharper when you're younger but i i truly feel that as time goes on the athletes that have the longer runway are the ones that are so passionate about their sport that they make time to be good at their sport and continue to day in and day out year after year and you look at tom brady's discipline To his fitness, to his health, um, studying playbooks, knowing the team, managing the team, like that's his life. Other things didn't become his life, and I I feel like I've really been dedicated to my craft as well, and and that's why I believe I'm having a longer runway.
1: Are you friends with any older athletes who've given you advice?
2: Uh, I know plenty of old guys, unfortunately, these days, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and a lot of them, a lot of my buddies are all now retired, Uh, but. Yeah, there's there's bits and pieces of advice, but I, I could say from a, when I first got started in the sport, Rusty Wallace was the, near the end of his career, and he shared his headspace with me from time to time. Dale Jarrett did the same. Uh, Matt Kenseth has recently, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Jeff Gordon. And uh, you know, when I look through it all and filter it all out, you know, making sure I'm ready is what I really see out of the five or six names that I've mentioned. I, I should throw Mark Martin in there because he helps this case. This point I'm trying to make. He kept picking a date and time that said, OK, I should retire here. He tried to, and he wasn't ready. So he'd come back. Rusty Wallace picked a date and time and stuck to it. Was so angry watching after, he's like, I should have never picked that date and time. Like I've, I want to be out there. So, And I turned to Jeff Gordon. He, that was the year he wanted to stop. He, he saw it through to the end. Same with Dale Jr. So making sure that that fire is really out is probably the best piece of advice I've received from my, my, my friends.
1: So give us a little window into what your routine looks like from a, from a health perspective. Cardio has got to be obviously tremendously different in what you're doing now. Um, I think you told Danica Patrick that your forearms are bigger than they've ever been before. <laughs> what, what, else are you, what else are you doing to maintain that, that um, level of physical fitness?
2: Yeah, it's, it's much more strength related. Um, I would say some standout things to me. One is grip strength required. Um, I'd also say lower back strength. That's really been a surprise to me. Just how uh, how important I've always known core anchors you, but lower back really sets you up to hit the brake pedal as hard as you need to in one of these race cars, and the, the brake pedal pressure required is is staggering. Just how hard you stand on the brake pedal each and every time, especially on the fast straightaways. Um, so that that one's that's been interesting to me. But on the cardio side, the uh, I've always you know, four-hour NASCAR races, triathlons, marathons, everything I've always done has been long duration. So I find a nice, comfortable heart rate, lock in on it, real good and disciplined with it, log laps, log miles, log time, whatever it is. And in IndyCar, the races are much shorter and a lot more physical, so my heart rate is way higher. So I've had to do a lot more interval training, a lot more anaerobic heart rate work just to move my lactic threshold higher so that I can you know, put out the effort required for the 90 minutes to 120 minutes of an IndyCar race.
1: Did you work with anybody in particular to, to get you there? I know you and Dario are very close, and I'm, I'm sure he had some tips on physical routine for IndyCar. Any, anything? Anyone else who you who you worked with to try to make sure that you were at that peak level?
2: Yeah, I've really leaned on uh, on Tony Canan and, and Scott Dixon. Dario uh, admitted that he did just enough to get by, and I oh. <laughs> fitness wasn't his favorite thing, um, and so I felt like Kanan and I with our triathlon love of triathlon and cycling that we both share that he would he would be a great influence for me and he quickly turned me on to the folks at PitFit. they're based in indiana specialize in getting indy car drivers ready to go racing they have done a great
1: job is hydra- hydration you've talked about hydration at length how important is that how much has it changed uh what what you've done i guess in order to make sure that you're at maximum capacity
2: yeah the, these Uh, you know, the intensity is a lot higher. Your opportunity to ingest calories or electrolytes or fluid is much more difficult. We don't have cautions really in these races. So the NCAR drinking system is is much more vital. And we're really getting into the heat of the summer now to to test what I I think I've I've done. So one, I've increased my kind of potential physically. And then two, I've got to get the, literally the, the ingredients right in the beverage that I have in the car to keep myself uh, with the right balance of fluids and
1: electrolytes. you become a bit of a scientist to some extent, a nutritionist for sure.
2: I have. I've uh, I've learned a lot over the years with triathlon and marathon and, and previous relationships with sports drink companies and uh, it sounds gross but uh, a sweat test, you know, they have these patches that they put on your body. They, they really do a nice job of telling you what you lose and then you can figure out the volume you lose and then try to replace as much as that as possible during the event.
1: Let's talk about the complexity. Um, Danica talked about going from uh, IndyCar to NASCAR. Uh, Nobody thought it was going to be easier for her, but she admitted that it's actually, that it was easier. You mentioned the steering Mm -hmm. earlier, but what about the complexity of IndyCar? What is it that surprised you about that?
2: Well, you know, physically, I think NASCAR is is, uh, much less physical, although the cockpit is much hotter. So depending on your experience with heat exposure and the training you do for heat um, you know nascar can uh, have a pretty unique challenge to itself when you're in a nascar vehicle we don't have as much data on the cars at at a racetrack so the driver crew chief relationship really becomes vital in indycar we have all this data Um, the driver's opinion certainly does matter but they have all this data to really show what is going on and it's just amazing to me how much is really there so I can see where Danica coming to NASCAR and needing to really understand shock builds, um, geometry, all the different sensations that that equate to that with with the way the car drives, handles, feels to steer a crew chief in the direction to go. You don't need that here. You you need to show up, hit your marks, dial up the intensity, be brave, and uh, you know and, and be involved in the conversation, but not leading it. So. It's been interesting to me to, to take on a different role and to have so much of the setup driven off of uh, simulation and off of a group of engineers making those decisions than off the seat of my pants.
1: And then the complexity of Formula One takes it to a whole new level. I mean, the respect level for even a circuit like that is has to be crazy for you.
2: It is, in, in talking to Grosjean and some others, like In Formula 1, you don't even talk to the team about the balance of the car. They they can see it on the the, the screens, and they know what they need to do, and they adjust from there, and they rarely ask the driver for their opinion.
1: <laughs> what elements do you miss of the NASCAR scene that you were a part of for so long? Probably the people.
2: Yeah, pe- people for sure. Um, you know, being a part of... of you know, one one team at Hendrick Motorsports for 20 years in the, the bond and friendships that I have there. You know, the folks at NASCAR, their drivers, you know, the people really, really are it. And, and the cars are fun. You know, they, they've ended up in a different spot today with their rules package. Um, but you go back a handful of years when we had uh, eight 900 horsepower in one of those cars, they were a lot of fun to drive. Yeah.
1: What advice would you have for others who are considering the same thing that you've done, and maybe there are others who are considering who, who have consulted you.
2: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm encouraging. You know, my friends from the NASCAR side that reach out. Um, I, I feel like, and I, I'm as guilty as anyone. I became a very specialized driver just in NASCAR, and once I started racing the 38 times a year, I just I was so busy with all that comes with it that I didn't drive anything else. And more than anything, I. I, I Close with Chase Elliott, and he raced in the Rolex 24. He's been driving midgets a little bit. He's run a dirt late model. Um, He's, you know, getting outside of his comfort zone. I think there's so much learned and absorbed in those experiences that make you a better driver that I, looking back, wish that I had done more of that. So if anybody shows interest now, I'm trying to be the little devil on their their shoulder and say, make it happen, find a way, get your owner to let you do it. Um, And then if you're looking at coming IndyCar racing, you know, I, I feel like the IMSA series has the elite level of competition. And in the DPI class, the cars are really quick, not as fast as an IndyCar. But I'm finding that probably the best place for me to get extra laps that are kind of in the same wheelhouse of what an IndyCar is like.
1: How much time are you spending in simulations? We talked before about tracks that you you haven't been on that you can't be on. So how much time do you spend absorbed in the next track that you need to um, uh, race on?
2: as much as I can. And of course, there are home sims and trying to find out the right platform, the platform that has the most recent scan, the platform that has the uh, the setup or the car balance that's most similar to the real thing. It's really muddy water and tricky to figure out the home sim part, but I'm, I'm trying to just because I'm so green. Um, you know i drive for honda honda has a great simulator in indiana that that all the drivers go to the problem is everybody wants to go to it and it's really busy so i was able to get some extra time for this race sadly the scan is a 2013 scan and this track's changed quite a bit since 2013 definitely didn't get any smoother so uh you know it's i'm doing all that i can and using all those resources and thankfully have uh, you know a lot of layers at chip ganassi racing with dario and scott and TK and and others to help me try to be as prepared as I can be.
1: When you think about the arc of your career and that you're sitting here now taking on this challenge, um, would the 25-year-old Jimmy Johnson have ever envisioned that this is something that you would be tackling at this point?
2: No, I thought I made that decision at maybe 19 or 20 to go stock car racing. You know, when that fork in the road happened for me, I never thought I, I would circle back to here or have a shot at this. So, this really is the icing on the cake and, and been a lot of fun.
1: Indie heroes of yours growing up, who were they?
2: So, Rick Mears. Um, you know, I, I remember watching races, and uh, my grandfather was a big Foyt fan, so of course, pulling for Foyt. Sullivan with the spin to win. Um, I always thought, I always seemed to gravitate towards the younger drivers, so Alan Sir Jr. Um, I rem- remember cheering for him quite a bit and, and hoping the best for him as well.
1: Have you talked to any of those folks? I know you were on the the broadcast team at NBC for the Indy 500. Imagine a lot of people came up to you who had Indy roots. Have you talked to them? Have they given you advice about this season?
2: You know, I spent some time talking with Rick Mears at Barber before the the race started, and I, what I gather from you know I saw Jr. and <clears throat> a lot of different folks that are IndyCar icons, and everyone's just so happy that I'm, I'm giving it a try, and, you know, I, I'm obviously bringing some new eyeballs to the sport, so so people are excited for that, but I think many are just proud of me to say, hey, I don't I don't expect to go in right now, you know, I've got, I know I have a long road ahead of myself, but I want to do this, and I want to be here, and I think many commend me for that, that I've stepped out onto this branch, and, and I'm doing something that I truly want to do for the
1: most pure purest of reasons, and, uh, you know, they're happy to see me do it. After the break, we'll hear more from NASCAR legend and IndyCar rookie Jimmy Johnson, including his relationship with Garvana, a view into his personal garage, and even a report card on how he'd rate his first year. So what's your grade to yourself? I'm probably harder on
2: myself, which I should be. Um, At times I feel like I'm in the B category, but I'd say to average it all out, I would say in the C category.
1: Welcome back into Cars and Culture. I'm automotive news publisher Jason Stein in Detroit. Now a return to my conversation on Belle Isle in Detroit with IndyCar rookie Jimmy Johnson. I know uh, Ernie Garcia Jr., the head of uh, Carvana, was very excited about you taking on this opportunity and in fact called you or called it a bit of a Michael Jordan moment when, you know, Michael picked up another sport. Is it? uh, I know. I know that 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 was a kind
2: uh, compliment I suppose. Oh, amazing compliment and it was really impressive to me just how um, how quickly the the opportunity that existed was picked up and spotted and how quickly Ernie wanted to move forward and, and put this relationship together. You know in a lot of other pitches that we were working at the time we literally had to walk folks down the road to help see the the crossover moment and opportunity and in the very first phone call, uh, which was only a few days after the first email that, that went around, um, he, he saw it, saw the opportunity, expressed great interest, so they needed a little time to process it. And if they came in, they were going to come in in a huge way and, and support me like no other, other sponsor could or would. And uh, they came on board, obviously, and have been extremely supportive and have uh, been, been amazing partners.
1: You've gotten to know Ernie and his dad well? I've had the pleasure
2: of meeting his father um, recently at a charity event, and certainly been able to get to know Ernie more. And uh, it, it's it's amazing to watch, you know, Ernie chase his dreams. And, and here I am over on my side of the road, kind of chasing mine at the same time, and uh, he's winning. His success is a lot greater than mine at this point in IndyCar, but uh, it, you know, it's just fun to be a part of such a fast-growing company uh, with such a, an interesting concept and, and fun approach to it all. I mean, just some, some young guys that are doing it right and having a lot of fun along the way.
1: There's some great symmetry there, right, Jimmy? I mean, he's a disruptor in his own world, and you're kind of disrupting the circuit now.
2: Oh, it's very true. It's very true, and Um, you know, to to have fans now come up to me and say, hey, I bought my car at Carvana, to have family members, hey, I'm going to buy a car, I'm going to try Carvana out. It's neat to see these worlds kind of collide together.
1: You walked past me unknowingly in St. Petersburg in the first race of the year, and uh, you, you wouldn't certainly have known me or seen me because you were mobbed by people who were all around you. The fervor and the excitement around you being on this circuit, I think, has energized the circuit from my own perspective. Wouldn't you agree?
2: Yeah, I know I'm bringing eyeballs. I'm not sure what um, what, what energy was prior to, but um, I've been surprised at the reception I've received. I'm walking out on the grid at St. Pete, and you know, you walk through kind of a tunnel onto the pit road, and fans on both sides, and to hear them erupt. It, the NASCAR races, some some were cheering and some were not, and there were some things <laughs> being said that you know I've I learned to kind of tune that out. But to walk out onto the IndyCar grid here and to hear the cheers and people appreciate what I'm trying to do um, and the compliments that are being passed out, it it's been a much warmer welcome than than I really anticipated.
1: That's true. You know, it is really an us versus them mentality in NASCAR, uh, where uh, you know fans openly dislike certain drivers. You don't see that in IndyCar or Formula One, do you?
2: No, not to the degree. You're totally right. That's that's a great way to simplify it and say it. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's exactly it. And in, in IndyCar, it's just much more of a collective group of uh, of everybody they cheer for. Sure, there's a favorite, but just a lot of respect paid to the entire grid.
1: We've talked to Roger Penske on this show. Have you talked to Roger at all since you've joined this?
2: I have. I uh, in my early days of, of trying to put together a program. Of, of course, I was. Curious if he had an opening and and sadly didn't. But um, he's been a a great friend and and a mentor in in a lot of ways um, over the years and certainly in the last few years as I've uh, really
1: tried to put this together. And he's also successfully managed drivers on both sides of the fence who've done exactly what you're doing. So he, he has that perspective.
2: He does. And, you know, his, I don't think he even means to at times, but just his wisdom and presence and approach to life and business, if you're fortunate to sit around him and watch him make a few decisions, indirectly or directly, you learn something from the guy. And and I I just love being around him. Any chance that I can be around him is really special.
1: Even though you didn't attend college, you have this enormous acumen for the the business world. What other things are you interested in beyond racing that you may pursue when you do decide to retire again?
2: Well, I've... (laughs) You know, my business really is built around driving the car. And you know, I have endorsement sponsors um, that, that tie directly into, you know from racing, I've been able to make great contacts um, and other forms of business, but most of them really do have some tie back to auto racing. I would say the only thing that doesn't would be some of the real estate purchases and investing that I have done. Um, but again, because of my success, that led to those contacts and opportunities to invest, but I'm I'm really active right now and just trying to, to go racing. And my office was able to bring in Carvana. Uh, we put the deal together with uh, Chip Ganassi Racing. Um, Ally is uh, has come through us uh, to be on my helmet and on the fire suit. So we've we found ourselves pretty darn busy in Jimmy Johnson Racing. The offices of Jimmy Johnson Racing, trying to manage and service the contract trying to get ready for renewals and and just try to keep these pieces in place for the IndyCar program and then also the IMSA program that I've been running um, which will be four races this year on top of the the 13 IndyCar races I'm doing.
1: Something like Le Mans interests you? Roger Penske talks about how he wants to win that's that's the final piece that he hasn't quite achieved is winning Le Mans. As a Le Mans driver is that is that something that you would you would consider doing?
2: Yeah, without a doubt. That's probably the top race left on my bucket list to experience. Um, you know, I, I've dabbled in IMSA racing over the years just to try to keep my foot in the door. So when I stopped full time NASCAR racing, I could go racing around the world and drive sports cars. This IndyCar thing kind of popped up and has derailed that for a year or two or three, whatever it ends up being. But um, I, I definitely have a focus on, on IMSA, the way the rules are going to be rewrapped. Uh, re-racked and the LMDH category that's coming along, um, I hope there are more opportunities for drivers to have a path to Le Mans. And, and I'm trying to put my name you know, in the ring and different, uh, with different teams right now to, to find my way to Le Mans. Are you a car guy, Jimmy? A little bit. I, I'm a race car guy, and I, I wish that I had more general car knowledge. I do have a small collection of cars. Uh,
1: What's in your collection?
2: Let's see. I have a, a Woody Wagon. I have a 51 Merc have 59 beetle bug 67 camaro i have one of the first zr1 vets um what else do we have we have an 86 rolls royce i have a, the silver spur the old executive car which is just fun to buy
1: why why that one <laughs> my,
2: my wife has the beetle bug the silver spur and a defender 90 we, we have those were three cars she wanted and uh you know if, if we want to if my wife wants to buy a car i'm going to support that. she likes to buy plenty of other things, and if she ever wants to buy a car i'm I'm all in and all about it but uh then I've had a hang is a fifty one step side um restaurant pickup truck that was my daily driver
1: prior to kids and now with kids, what's your daily driver Something with airbags and a car seat It's <laughs> <laughs> a good choice. What do your kids think of what you're doing
2: They love it i mean i I wish my kids were a little older to experience uh, my last championship or some of those last NASCAR wins that I had, but they're, you know, they're 10 and seven now and birthdays are approaching quickly and their understanding of what dad does, you know, is, is more present and meaningful. And honestly, the struggles that I had at the end of my cup career trying to learn a new discipline right now, you know, there's some life lessons in all of that and they, you know, they see dad as a superhero and they, they know that I've had this success and they see people ask for my autograph and respond to me in a certain way. And, you know, they, they think that's pretty cool. But I and, and that's fine. But I, I really want them to understand just how you have to work for things and how, how much effort it takes and how you have to apply yourself, how it's not going to be easy and you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes and that's OK. Um, so in, in some ways right now, I'm like an in life class session for them on. On what to expect as they get older and pursue a career and have failures and, and learning and grow along the way. So um, I, I think my 10 year old is pretty wise for her years and she's very tuned into what dad's doing. I'm not sure my youngest totally gets it, but you know, we're kind of laying that foundation right now, I think, or I hope for uh, the, the women they will become.
1: and Dad's home a lot more now.
2: You would think so, but I've been so busy trying to figure this stuff out that uh, I had literally the busiest winter I've ever had. I was driving Formula 3 cars. I was in the simulator in Indy quite a bit, trying to establish myself with the team. Uh, Now things are kind of slowing down. We've used up all of our test sessions. And and this summer, now that they're out of school, this summer I'll be around a lot more.
1: Culture, the culture of a winning team. What does it take? You've been a part of many winning teams. But what what strikes you as the key ingredients to having the, the the best culture that you can have?
2: You know, they're all different. And you know, winning winning is the secret sauce that covers up um, dysfunction. You know, if when when you when you're not winning, that's when a team is truly tested and that's when the dysfunction shines and and teams fall apart. So you know, I feel like in my cup career, I Chad Kinaus's leadership, he created a winning team off the bat. And you know he wasn't the easiest guy to work for, and the winning kept us going and and covered up you know some of the issues we had. When we had more lean years, we had more turnover on the team. Chad and I had fight more, you know, and it was an interesting cycle that took place. But um, you know when you have when you have somewhat publicly too some some publicly for sure, but when you have tenure together, you know, chances are you've been through those peaks and valleys, and the and the and a culture is created. And I think. I think it's more, more about a team culture in a, in a way a team operates and it is about a winning culture. Winning, winning happens after all that's locked down. And that's something that working for Chip has really showed me. And the shop that, that is based in Indiana with the four IndyCar teams and the IMSA program, um, they win and lose as, as a group. When I watched 10-car win uh, the season opener uh, with Alex Pelot behind the wheel, the entire shop, was experiencing that. It wasn't just the singular group of people on the 10 car. It was the entire shop. And that that's not the way it took place for me over at Hendrick. I mean, sure, certain layers of the company were happy, chassis department, engine department, management. But where I lived and, and worked, you know, that guy won, we didn't. We need to do a better job. It was just a little different and wasn't shared. The experience wasn't shared throughout. And I think, I think it has something to do with that.
1: You're working on uh, documentation of a lot of this, Of. Of what you're going through you're you're recording and collecting uh over the course of the last year and a half your transition from your previous series to this series what's that going to look like in the end is it a documentary what 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 form will that take
2: we'll see what really develops um, we can see a couple different opportunities but more than anything we'll never have this opportunity to capture the content so that's something i've learned later in you know later years of my career that just having the content is, is so key. Obviously, some of the quick hits with social media are important and interesting and fun, and and certainly service an important part of of uh, the demands of a public figure or a race car driver. Uh, but down the road, just having all of this archive, and especially the more that that, that I own, um, the more opportunities I will have, and, and the the better the product can be. It sounds like a
1: Netflix documentary, like Drive to Survive.
2: That that would be an amazing. Uh, opportunity, uh, without a doubt, I mean, we, we would jump at that opportunity. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. We've, we've, in some respects, hope to have, uh, have had stuff on a platform by now. But COVID, you know, had its challenges that it provided to, to that industry as well. But we're still we're still collecting content. And, um, you know, I'd say the probably the best example. Um, of, of sitting on something and waiting for it would be Michael Jordan's docus- docu-series that he did. So there are many ways to, to skin a cat here, and we just need the content for now.
1: A couple of your peers, um, your um, helpers along the way here, have given you letter grades on how you've done so far oh, no. this year. <laughs> so, so the good news is there, there are good grades. Uh, Scott Dixon has given you a B+. Plus. Uh, He said it's a bit crazy because not many people would even take this on, you know, what you're doing. You've definitely taken on a mountain, Scott said. And Tony Kanaan gave you an A because he said that Jimmy's done a remarkable job just being humble about how much he needs to learn. So what's your grade to yourself?
0: I'm
2: probably harder on myself, which I should be. Um, At times I feel like I'm in the B category, but I'd say to average it all out, I would say in the C category. Um you know, I, certainly a lot to learn and, and so much is new, and that, that part you know is where I, I venture more towards the B side, but to be able to have a consistent weekend from opening practice to finish of the race, uh, there's still some valleys in there that I need to clean up. Some of it's just procedurally different that, um, that, that I'm now getting some exposure to and, and aware of. Um, I also have some bad habits that I'm, I'm trying to shake. In a NASCAR race, the track gets slower. Every cars are on track. In any car, the track gets faster. So I need to keep attacking all the way to the end. Um, the other big thing is you don't have any cautions. So any mistakes made early in a race, that time could just be given away, and you'll never have a chance to get it back. So you know, there's some, some aspects to it that I, my mind is now open to and aware to that, uh, that I need to clean up and be more consistent from the start of the weekend to the end.
1: But if you get to the end of the year, what will make you the most satisfied when you when you tabulate how the year is gone. What's your measuring stick for success?
2: For me that's my effort. So the grade of a C would be on the end result and the performance so far, but uh, my effort is what I'm most tuned in on and, and I'll give myself an A, easily an A on, on the effort and application to this. And that that's all I can do. And I, I know I know what I'm facing. I don't know if everybody else can grasp it, but I know what I'm facing, and I know that I'm waking up every day as motivated as I've ever been to to figure
1: this out and get it right. I want to go back to something else that you said earlier, uh, just about um, sort of self-reflection. If you think back to the start of the year, and uh, let's even go back to the first time that you sat in the car, what's that growth curve look like for you? And compare that to what your growth curve was when you first started stock car racing.
2: Yeah, for IndyCar, it's vertical. Um, It's literally a vertical chart. In stock cars, I mean, I I had a chance to probably spend a year driving late models in ASA cars. I've only raced a couple couple races. Then that led to my first full-time year in ASA his second year in ASA and dabbled a little bit in Bush and then full-time in Bush for two years and the second year of Bush, dabbled a little bit in Cub. So there's this, this progression that, that led me to the big show. You know, I, I showed up at Barber, the big show with I think three test sessions ever in an IndyCar and off I went. So uh, it's been a vertical learning curve.
1: I wish you nothing but success this year on that vertical learning curve. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Thanks for being on the show, Jimmy. Got it. Thank you. Thanks to Jimmy Johnson and the Chip Ganassi racing team. And thanks for listening to another week of Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. We'll see you down the road.